Hello everyone and welcome to the On The Record podcast presented by the Western Weekender and recorded at the studios of Vintage FM. I'm Troy Dodds and in this podcast series I'll be joined by special guests who all have such great stories to tell about Penrith and their role in its history. My guest today is John Thane, the current Mayor of Penrith. John is a Labor man through and through but regardless of political affiliation it's clear that Penrith has been his major priority through his life in politics. I really hope you enjoy our chat. John, welcome to the On The Record podcast. Morning, Troy. It's great to be with you. John, um, let's go right back to the beginning. Uh, When and where were you born? Uh, I was born in Aberdeen, Scotland, um, 1961. And uh, the first first nine years of my life were spent there and come over to Australia on Australia Day, 1971. Okay, and what brought your family from uh, Scotland to Australia? Well, I think they just wanted to give us like a better chance in life, you know. It wasn't really easy in Scotland. And I've got to say, I think... The weather had a lot to do with it. Um, I went back there uh, a bit later in life and, you know, when it's not light till after 9.30 in the morning and dark at 3 in the afternoon, I think that might play a a big part. But, look, I I remember, like, my young life as, you know, it's really quite special. Like, I guess it was a different time and you had a lot of freedom. Um, Sure, it was cold, but um, if you read Barnsley's book, you'll, you'll hear him talk about the kids in the street it was kind of like the gang yeah and and that's what it was like you were all like you know there was a lot of kids in the area and um you just stuck together as a group and you'd have old kids with the younger kids and it was really quite good fun you mentioned that you arrived on australia day do do you remember that do you remember getting off the plane in australia absolutely and and i've I've, i say this at citizenship ceremonies but uh, when we left aberdeen it was i think it was about minus five degrees um, and when we got on the plane, I had a, uh, I had a jacket, I had a jumper, I had a couple of t-shirts. And when we landed at Kingsford Smith, um, on those days you had the stairs that come right up, you know, when you went down the stairs onto the tarmac and it was over a hundred degrees. And I, I thought <laughs> I'd been brought to a furnace. It was just incredible. I'd never felt heat like it in my life. Obviously, I uh, started going to school here. Um, no real accent these days, but back then, did, was there an accent? And, uh, and yeah. what was school like as a result? Well, look, you know, the, the first six months, I think, was pretty tough. And, and I think that's why I haven't got an accent now, because uh, I think it was fairly hard for kids to understand what I said. Mm. Um, so you try and change to make, make um, kids hear and understand what you're saying, but... Obviously, there was um, is a bit of tensions there as well. So you know, there's a few scraps because um, people took the Mickey out of you. Mm, and I guess that in those days, it was um, you know we, we probably weren't used to hearing all of those accents like we are today. Uh, you know, it was just a completely different world for a lot of people. Yeah, but you know, I've got to say, um, having said that, after about uh, you know six months, you know, and I think within a year, my accent had almost gone completely. Mm. And, you know, you you, um, you end up making friends because you play the same sports that they do, although I'd never seen, honestly, I'd never seen a rugby ball. Right. A, a, like a league ball until uh, until I come to Australia. It may, it was like soccer was almost like, you know, um, it was almost like a religion. So, you know, I just played football all the time. But um, that was one of the great things about coming to Australia as well. As a kid, you, get, you got introduced to all these other fantastic sports and, you know, you play league and you play cricket. I wasn't a great fan of Union. I had one crack at it and almost ended up in hospital after a ruck. But, um, you know, I really uh, I didn't enjoy cricket and I loved I loved my league as well. 
So after school, um, how did you find your way to uh, to Penrith in there? Because where were you living in those? When you so came out? Um, I grew up in Rydalmere. Yep. Um, and I went to Macquarie Boys High, same high school as Ray Hadley. Yep. Um, uh, which is no longer there, unfortunately. The mm. the old girls just about burnt down, I think. Um, and then you know I did um, a a trade course at Meadowbank TAFE, um, become an electrician. So I, I did that for a few years. Uh, then I did the backpacker thing, went to Europe, travelled around a bit, worked for Kentucky for um, wow, okay, for so. about uh, I think it was about six six months, which was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that, and it kind of. Every time I hear that Richard Clapton song, Welcome to the Party, when you're the line, it's Welcome to the Party that never ends. <laughs> so, so you're cr- probably the, uh, the mayor with the most Kentucky tours under his belt. Yeah, well, actually, <laughs> we we, uh, are, we were on a stopover at Robin Hill in Torquay um, in Devon in, in England, so it was it was kind of like a six-month party. Yeah. Um, and kind of glad of the break after it, you know. <laughs> uh, and then, um, you know, I come back to Australia. I moved out originally, um, stayed in North Parramatta with a couple of mates, you know, batching it. Um, and then I met Annette, um, funnily enough, at a by-election. Okay, yes. On a polling booth. And, you know, it was one of those things where, uh, you know, where you sort of think love at first sights, you know, it's not real. But, mm. um, you know, we met. Uh, and within six months, we were engaged, and and well, actually, within three months, we were engaged, and, and in six months, we were married, wow. and we've been married ever since. So, uh, you know, um, it was just one of those one of those things that happened, and it was kind of love at first sight for both of us, really. Um, and then we moved to Ermington, and in those days, we just thought, well, you know, what are we paying all this rent for? Um, we could probably buy a home mm. and it's cheaper to actually pay the mortgage off and, than what it was at rent at those yeah. times. So we we're having a bit of a look around. Annette's uh, cousins, actually Tony Butterfield, who used to play for Penrith at this time, lived in Colleton. Well, his family lived in Colleton, so she knew out this way. And I'd travelled out this way as a, like a sales engineer coming out this way for work from time to time. And I really liked St Mary's for some reason. It mm. always sort of really felt felt homely, really. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we um, we ended up buying in North St. Mary's in the early 90s. And I've got to say, it was probably the first place for me that actually felt like home. Okay. My home, you know. Um, and we've been there ever since. And, mate, I just love it. Interestingly enough, you, met, you mentioned about meeting uh, Annette at a by-election, so that would suggest that politics has been a part of your life for, for obviously, since your younger years. Was it, were you from a political family, or uh, how did politics, you know, come into your, your life? Well, um, I guess politics come into my life. My, funnily enough, my dad wasn't Labor. Okay. He was, uh, he was SNP, Scottish National Party, and hadn't voted Labor until he came to Australia. But my mum and my grandparents were very Labor, and my like you know, but my grandfather and uh, on my mum's side and my dad were both very strong union men, um, and my grandfather had been in the marches, you know, in the after World War One and mm. through those to to get more money. So you know, I guess it was instilled in me, and and you know they were both uh, um, from that period, um, you know, where it was tough, you know, where you had. Uh, well, it wasn't really a recession; it was a depression. So mm. they'd gone through those years, and you know they hadn't had holidays, and so I guess it was just kind of you know instilled in me that you help people, you know, 
you help each other, kind of like a family in a way. And yeah. um, and so I I did I missed the Young Labor part because mm-hmm. I was too, too busy having a good time, <laughs> too busy having a good time over in Europe and doing Kentucky and all the things I wanted to. So I, I come back and I, I don't think I joined the party till I was about twenty eight. Okay. I'd always had those like leanings anyway. I joined the party at uh, twenty eight at my local branch at Rydalmy, um and. Um, helped out in the Parramatta area and uh, we actually met at a by-election when Andrew Zukowski died and Gabriel Harrison run for that seat so I think that was um, it was in the early 90s. Yeah. So. Strange twist of fate, hey? Strange yeah. twist of fate, yeah. Um, what was Penrith and St Mary's in particular like back then when you first moved to it? Ah, oh, well, mate, it's, um, well, actually Queen Street was really doing it tough. There was a lot of vacant shops, um, but there was still a lot of community spirit there, you know. The Leagues Club was just down the road, so it was mm. easy to just walk down to the Leagues Club, walk home and have a beer. Um, the M4 was... I worked in Granville at the time, so that was the base. So you'd get down the M4 without too many problems. You could be in Granville in half an hour, and yeah. then later on in the... You know, in the, when it gets to the 2000s, it started to get fairly congested. Um, but it was... Um, it, it just felt like a great community, and it and it still does, and I think, um, you know, neighbours really make the place, and we had just the best neighbours when we moved in. It was just you felt like you'd been there forever, you know. Mm. They were just really good friends. You were first elected to uh, the Penrith Council in nineteen ninety nine. Um, two things, I guess. Can you remember why you decided to to run? Why then was the right time? And and, and how did you feel when um, when you were elected? Um, well, in ninety nine, I, I was prodded. Um, I guess I was a bit mouthy in branch meetings. <laughs> you know, I had a lot to say in branch meetings. And, and, and my great friend, um, Jim Anderson uh, and Roger Price, both sort of said, well, look, you need to have a crack at council, you know. I think you'd be all right. And and I hadn't really thought of it. And, and I've got to say, um, from where I come from in Parramatta, usually it was the other way. It was trying to stop people from, from going <laughs> anywhere. So I was a bit surprised that... You know, I had two great mentors that were actually pushing you towards something. It really felt, um, it really felt different. So I thought, yeah, okay, I'll have a go. Mm. Um, and I run third on um, uh, Davies Bradbury's ticket, um, and I got elected from third spot, which was the first time it had been done in a wow. in a really long time. And I guess you know, a lot of people obviously criticise local government. Often they don't understand it. Um, you know, you've been there since 1999 consistently now, re-elected a, a number of times. What is it about local government that, that you love in particular? Um, I can't say all local government, I'll, but I'll talk about Penrith Council. Mm. It has a culture, and culture can be a good or bad thing. And I think the culture at Penrith Council has been really good because uh, the older councils that were there when you first got on council, regardless of their political stripe, the city was always the most important thing. And sure, they'd have their little stouches, comes elections or whatever. Yeah. But for the most, it was always the city that was the most important thing. And I think that kind of gets handed down. But but not just that, we always saw ourselves, um, and I think this has really put us in great stead, for not just for the future, but for now, because we always realised that we actually serviced outside the Penrith area as well. We served people from the Hawkesbury and the Blue mm. Mountains and from the Central West. Um, so we always tried to um, think about, you know, what, what Penrith needed for that. And I think that's really helped with our future. But, 
Um, look, it's I know people people talk about hobbies, and I guess it was my hobby in a way yeah. because I got to have um, you know every Monday night I'd be going to to council, but I had a say in and probably how the city was shaped and you know um, how we could try and develop and you know um, the thing is mate is that I know we cop a lot of flack but we genuinely are there trying to make it better for the residents of Penrith it's like you know we don't just do it if it's for the money forget that because uh, when it comes down to it it's not a lot for what you do Mm. Um, but but we have a genuine interest in trying to make things better for the people of Penrith and I think a lot of people probably don't realize you know people might think that the council's sitting there you know collecting rates and just organizing uh, a rubbish collection or uh, uh, parking inspectors or whatnot, but all the events that people attend, whether it's Australia Day or the Real Festival in recent times, and uh, a lot of the initiatives that you see at, uh, at parks that you might take your kids to, it's, it's easy to forget that, that they're council initiatives. You know, yeah. they've come from you guys and and feedback from the community that's then resulted in you guys doing it. People tend to forget that. And everyone that plays sport on a Saturday, yep. you know, the fields are looked after um, mm. so that they're in prime, well, you know, as best as they can be for people that play sport. So, yes. you know, we do a lot of other stuff as well. And, you know, we put the real festival on. Um, that's been, um, like, you know, great for the last two years, getting mm. bigger. We had the Matildas play here yep. uh, last year. We've had the ballet for two years in a row, and they'll be back again this year. So there are events that we're involved in as well. Mm. When you first came into council in 1999, I guess it was, um, you could say, the start of the modern Penrith in a way, because the, the Olympics were the next year, and, and Penrith obviously got a lot of attention then. We got some great facilities out of the Olympics that we still enjoy today. Um, three years later, of course, Penrith won another rugby league title, and things started to really sort of change for Penrith. It sort of, I guess it was in that little era that it, Penrith became more in the national spotlight, maybe yeah. than ever before. Very true, and... Um and I think we had great leadership at the time as well. Like, you know, there's always a bit of a joke about John Bateman, Greg Davies and myself, who yeah. was the best mayor of Penrith. <laughs> John Bateman was the best mayor at that time for the Olympics. Mm. And John set the bar for what mayors should be like for the future mm. in, in, from, from that era because he dedicated so much time to council, you know, um, he, he just put in and really set the bar high, was always available to do stuff and... Um, he was a fantastic ambassador. Absolutely. Let, let's fast forward a little bit because a lot of people use council for, um, you know, maybe stepping stones for, for other things. You've always been pretty passionate about local government, but there was a tilt at, at state politics. Um, back in, in 2010, of course, um, there was a, a significant scandal and, and we had a by-election and, and you put your hand up for what was probably going to be certain defeat and and i remember at the time i think you wore out four or five pairs of shoes you you really put in despite the fact that you know every poll was telling you where this was going to go um why did you agree to put your hand up and um, and what was that experience like at a pretty difficult time for the party locally well look i think the party had given me so much troy that i wanted to give a little bit back and I knew that it'd be unfair to just like you know we you knew you were on a hiding to nothing really, and I thought it was unfair to just put someone up just for the sake of it. And I thought, well, you know, my party's been good to me. I want to give them as credible a candidate as possible, and I'll work as hard and try and do my best to, um, I, I guess, make the swing as low as possible. Mm. I, I thought, but. Um, Actually, it held the record for the biggest <laughs> <laughs> the biggest swing in the state for a while, um, and I was really pleased when Miranda um, 
uh, went bigger than that. So it was a, it was a, an interesting one though because I guess you you kind of knew what was going to happen, but you would have been out there talking to locals, and I guess it gave you a you know an even bigger insight into what you've had on council into to people what they're thinking and and and, and where they're at in their lives. Yeah, well, absolutely, um, and um, you know I just thought that it was um, it was time for me to stick my hand up and and have a crack. Um, I to be honest, I've never been interested in federal politics. It's never really interested me. But I did have an interest in state politics, mm. and and that might have been for family reasons as well. Like you know, at state politics, at least you get to come home and that you're with your family, so that you see them either later that night or, or early in the morning, so you still get to mm. spend time with them. Whereas federal, you're away for a week, you're back, you're working all weekend, you're back in Canberra, you, you know, so you're away for weeks at a time. Mm. And, and family means a lot to me, so I don't really, I uh, had no interest in that. But, you know, I thought uh, if um, if I could have a crack at state, I would, I would, um, I would do that and... I would have liked... To, uh, look, I really didn't have ambitions to be a minister, but, mm. uh, but you know, and I think for me, um, the late Jim Anderson was a fantastic local member. Yeah. He worked so hard. You know, he really got a lot for his area. He worked really hard, and I guess he was my role model. Um, and sadly, he passed away on, um, you know, the election in 2003, Um the state election on the morning of the mm. election, which I think was probably the worst day of my life, uh, being his campaign manager, um, and just hearing that uh, Jim had had a heart attack and, and passed away was just crushing. Yeah, tell, um, tell us about that day because that would have been obviously you've done all the work in the in the lead up to the election, and and it was quite sudden. No, no expectation that no, that no. was going to happen, and certainly the furthest possible thing from your mind i guess when you you go to bed for those couple of hours sleep the night before before a, an election day so you wrap it up you know you're you're um you're in there sitting you're having a chat and we we'd had a chat and jim was there with kathleen and we sort of were just having a like a cup of tea before we called it a night and had gone through everything that we could do ticked it off and said well we've done the best that we can mm. see you in the morning and and we'll get it started um, and then I think about 5.30 that morning, I got a call from Roger Price that said, Jim's had a heart attack, you know. Uh, and at the time I thought, heart attack, you know. Mm. All right, he'll go off to the hospital, they'll work on him, he'll probably be right and you know. Yeah. Uh, eight or ten weeks, he'll be back on his feet and back into it again. Um, and then about half an hour later, Roger rang me and told me we'd lost him. And, and I've got to be honest, mate, I think there's about 45 minutes that's just virtually a blank. Mm. It just uh, was in a in a daze. And I guess the difficult thing was is that I really didn't have much time to grieve because there was an upper house election was still on. So yeah. our people were really upset but it was trying to convince him that we actually needed to stay there because that's what Jim would have wanted as well. He mm. would have wanted him to stay there and, you know, um, make sure that we still um, had people there to hand out for the upper house. So um, it was a bit of a, um, it was a bit of a daze that day mm. and just so emotional because every booth that you travelled around seeing our workers, it was just the same thing. Mm. over again you know Obviously people were so distressed and you know I, I don't think i've cried so many tears in a day yeah it's a 
a really um, a difficult time, I guess, particularly around the timing that it happened. It's never a never a, a thing that you want to happen, but the timing was just extraordinary, I guess, and, and made it even more so harder for those working, as you say. Um, you mentioned, of course, he was a bit of a someone you looked up to as far as, and, and maybe even that state tilt in 2010 had a, had a bit to do with him. You keep talking in past tense, no interest in, uh, in the future for, for potential state politics? Well, look, you know, you'd be stupid to say never say never, <laughs> but um, it's not on the radar and there's, there's family reasons for that too. Mm. Uh, Troy, I have, um, um, I have a, a brother-in-law that um, has cerebral palsy and, and my mother-in-law is getting older and, um, you know, we, um, we need to look after them. You, you mentioned family. Um, you've got two sons, yeah. um, Gary and, and Henry. They're, they're both a big part of your life, aren't they? Oh, huge part of my life, yeah. Mm. They're just great. Like, you know, they, they've, I'm just really pleased. They, they're like, Gaz is a mate, almost, you know, he's uh, sat down and had a barbecue with him and some of his friends last Saturday night. So it's... Um, it's a good age, and, I guess, when yeah, he's at. Yeah. You become closer friends. And, and it's kind anything, of funny yeah. because, like, you know, and I suppose I was the same as well. You, you know, you go through the teens where you sort of drift away a little bit mm. and then you get into your 20s again and you start to get a, a bit closer. So, yeah. um, so I'm just really enjoying that time and that closeness with him. And, and of course, Henry is just, he's just such an easygoing young bloke, you know, that um, he just he just enjoys life and I just enjoy him enjoying life. I think that people uh, who, who may have you as a friend on Facebook and whatnot have seen Henry's uh, smiling face, of course. It's uh, Wanderers Matches. He's a particularly yeah. uh, big Wanderers fan. Um, he, he's just, uh, yeah, as you say, he's just loves uh, loves his sport in particular. It would seem loves the Panthers as well. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's a couple of times where we've gone out and he's got Panthers shorts and a Wanderers top, or, or vice versa. <laughs> you know, so yeah, he's a real character. He, of course, suffers from from Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just interested to know politically how that has an impact on you as well, because I guess people's life experiences can. Um, make them understand more um, certain issues, and you would have seen the NDIS roll out at a, at a federal level, yeah. which rolls down into into state and local as well. But I guess it would give you a bigger insight into the funding processes and, and the, yeah, the well, challenges that a lot of families would face in the area. Well, it gives you a greater empathy for what families face. Mm. So I guess you understand it a lot better than what some some people were that or people are that haven't had. Uh, that in their life so you know you can actually talk about it and people will open up to you a bit more knowing that you've been in a similar mm. situation and I've got to say uh, the NDIS which is a great thing um, has certainly had its teething problems and you know I'm sure that it'll get there but you know it's uh, it, it hasn't been easy um, and um and I think it'll still remain difficult for for the next couple of years just trying to navigate it Mm. Um, people trying to navigate it with kids with a disability. It's interesting because there's, um, and I know this would happen at state and federal level as well, but uh, at Penrith Council, there's, there's a number of councillors who have um, children with, with different disabilities and, and things like that. It, it really opens up, I guess, the the proof, I guess, that when you're when we talk about inclusive communities and it might be just a, a path that's not right or it might be a, a, a better toilet yeah. that's needed. You, you recently opened some um, some accessible toilets in the CBD, which are, uh, are particularly important. It, it gives it, it just proves that, I guess, the that councillors are more than just the roads rate rubbish. They, they, they really make a difference in, um, in, in helping some of the challenges that exist for people. And, and look, you know, and although it might not be 
um, directly a council issue, it doesn't stop us from advocating mm. on people's behalf as well to the state and federal governments where your voice might be a bit louder than, and than just, a, just a resident. What about Annette? Uh, you mentioned you've been married for how long now? Um, uh, 20, 24 years on the, yep. on the 25th, on Sunday. Okay, wow, well, there you go. So um, what, what is it that's kept you two strong and, and together through all these years? Um, we're mates. You know, we're just really good friends, I think. And we, we have a lot of laughs. We, we sort of, we're, we're very similar in a, in, a, in a lot of our views and, um, you know, being able to laugh. Um, and family's important to her as well. So, you know, it's a, it's a very strong bond. What about um, her support in terms of you becoming mayor? Because obviously going from a councillor to, to mayor, and you've been mayor a, a couple of times, is it really becomes, it, you mentioned a hobby earlier, but it goes from a hobby to a, a very much full-time job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it would have never been possible unless I had her support. You know, she's always uh, she's always been there for me. And I, that's why I love her, you mm. know. Um, we've always supported each other in whatever endeavours that we do, and, you know, she's my rock. You... You're in your final few months, I guess, or six months or so of um, of your mayorship, which has now lasted two years, which is, uh, I think, fantastic that we now have longer terms for mayors. Um, what have you been most proud of in, in this particular stint? Um, well, I think what we've actually done is, is uh, and, and, you know, people... I'll just go back. I mean, like, a couple of years ago, we still weren't sure whether we should support the airport or not. Mm. And I guess we um, there was a feel that maybe things had changed. So we did uh, we did some polling, we did some surveys, and it was obvious that there was a far greater amount of people. In fact, it was over sixty percent that actually supported an airport. Um, so I guess we changed our stance to if we were going to get an airport, we needed to be part of the conversation. Mm. Uh, so we did that, but. Um, What's just happened recently with the city still, with the eight councils working together, yeah. it's going to be great, not just for Penrith in the future, because we're actually talking about infrastructure going in at the same time or before development. Mm. And that's, you know, that's always been difficult. And I think people in Penrith are probably a little bit upset or concerned because of the rate of development, the, the development that's just seems to have accelerated without the infrastructure that goes with it. I think that'll change, and we're actually looking at Western Sydney as a whole now. And I think, you know, in, in 10 years' time, Western Sydney, particularly Penrith, will be a powerhouse, um, and it'll be one of the great cities to live in. That is certainly a, a big issue, the finding the balance, I guess, between, for a lot of people, the Penrith that they grew up in um, and that they remember, and the Penrith of the future, which in reality does have some, some high-density housing and, um, and medium-density housing more than it ever has before. Um, it is a balance that, that the council has to manage, obviously, but you have a responsibility there as well. It's not just a decision that you, you can't sort of just decide, well... We'll just, we'll just stay as we are. In fact, it would be impossible to do. Yeah, and targets to meet. I mean, like we have targets that we're required to meet under the you know the, the state government metropolitan plan. Um, but you know, I think what we have to do and is important is to stop the sprawl. Hmm. You know, and and what we really need is is better urban design so that you know it's greener, it's better, people can move around a lot easier, but more connectivity to particularly public transport, so that, you know, 
So you've got a rail station right on right on the door where people live, and they have that option. Um, and what we can't forget is because there's a huge birth rate at the moment as well. Yeah. Like, you know, the population's growing not just by immigration, but there is a very extensive um, growth in, in just births. Mm. But we can't forget younger people, you know. They aren't going to live like I lived. They, they don't want the big blocks. They don't want to be spending their weekends doing gardening or working in the yard. And mm. um, they, they, they choose to live, live differently. So we've got to give that choice uh, of housing for people as well. And we, we need to, you know, we, we need to be broad and include everyone in the conversation of what they actually want and, and try to get the right mix. With that in mind, and obviously the airport as well, what are the biggest challenges you think Penrith faces probably in the next five or ten years that, that we'll see a, an evolving city, I guess, that, um, that like back when we mentioned in 99, early 2000s, is going to go to its next level? Well, the next level, I mean, uh, you saw that there's a development in, by CABE that's actually on Panther's side, mm. and then you have a development in Union Road um, that's um, by Fraser's. So, you know, you're going to have probably you know 2,000 more units in the next five six years mm. um, maybe not that quite many but you know there'll certainly be a few and then the Panasonic site so the challenge is is that you again you have a lot more people living in the CBD um, what we're trying to do is to stop the use of vehicles you know you don't by living in the CBD you might not need as many vehicles mm. So we want to try and stop that congestion as well. And there are upgrades to Mulgawa Road going, but at the moment, you know, we're really aware of the parking problems. So we've got to alleviate that. That's the, that's the first goal. Yeah. Get the deck car park and Soper Street finished. Get the dark deck car park in Union Road. So we have over more 2,000-plus two, um, parking spots in, in the CBD. Um, but then we want really good quality design. But what that will do as well is it also generates people living close in the CBD. And you can see how Penrith's changing at night time as well. Mm. Like, you know, it's great. You're getting all these new restaurants and cafes that are open. It's bringing people into the the um, the CBD in the evening. Mm. That's going to be better in the future as well. We're going to have more of that. And a lot of those restaurants, they walk past no matter what night of the week, uh, are full. And full. Um, it just shows you that, that, that Penrith had been crying out for that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there'll be more of that coming, you mm. know. Um, and that generates a nighttime economy as well. So it gives more work for people, you know, more work in this city for people as well. A lot of the things you're referring to, um, from the airport to uh, new developments and whatever, obviously require a lot of work between all, le- all three levels of government working together. Um, as it stands today, um, obviously, a uh, uh, a Liberal government federally, but a Labor member um, federally. Um, state-wise, obviously, um, we have, uh, in as far as the, the Penrith LGA is concerned, one uh, Labor MP, two Liberal MPs. Um, council is, is pretty evenly split. How important is it to work together? But also, is it? it seems these days that parties do work together a lot more than maybe they have in, in previous years in, in Penrith in, in decades gone by. Well, cities first. You yeah. know, that's always the first thing. So, you know, um, I think when it's... When it comes to the city, it's the city that comes first and the politics plays second fiddle. So, you know, I think at the end of the day, everyone wants to try and improve the amenity of our city. So you work together, you know, and and, and not only that, I mean, the cities do. There's uh, like a Liberal federal government. 
a, a Liberal uh, State Minister for Western Sydney in Stuart Ayres. Um, and then there's eight councils. That's quite a mix mm. um, between Labor, Independents and, uh, and Liberal. You know, the guns are put aside. You sit down and you work what's the best for your region. And and, and really, isn't that what people want to see, though? Yeah, absolutely. They don't want to yeah. see a bear pit where you're just fighting mm. it at each other's throats all the time. They actually want to see some progress. Mm. And I think that's the important thing is that, you know, when it really comes down to it and you sit down and you work together, you can get good outcomes, whatever the strike. So uh, the last question that, um, that we ask in this podcast, um, and it's a, a reflective one, I guess, but how would John Thane like to be remembered? Ah, oh, Just a, a good bloke that had a go and tried, tried to do his best for, for where he lived. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, John, thank you very much for joining us on the, uh, on the Record podcast. It's an absolute pleasure, Troy. Thank you. Penrith Mayor John Thane joining us on On The Record. And don't forget, you can uh, listen to our other On The Record podcasts at westernweekender.com.au slash podcasts or find the podcast on iTunes or Podcast Addict. Don't forget as well, you can follow The Weekender on on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, uh, westernweekender.com.au and the print edition out every Friday as well. Thanks for your company on On The Record.